Hi, this is John. This week on The Cinephiles, Steve and I do our best Murtaugh and Riggs impression as we tackled 1987's Lethal Weapon. Directed by Richard Donner, written by Shane Black, starring Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, an insanely awesome Gary Busey, and the singer Darlene Love. This is one of these quintessential 80s films that became a template for buddy cop action movies for decades to come. The fluid pace, the incredible action sequences, the tight script, and the amazing acting done by all the actors in this film to really bring this incredible action piece to life are displayed so perfectly in this film. Steve and I enjoyed revisiting the film, and you can stream it on YouTube, Amazon Video, Vudu, Google Play, and iTunes. Join us this week for 1987's Lethal Weapon on the Cinephiles. Hey, look, friend, let's just cut the shit. Now, we both know why I was transferred. Everybody thinks I'm suicidal, in which case I'm fucked and nobody wants to work with me. Or they think I'm faking to draw a psycho pension, in which case I'm fucked and nobody wants to work with me. Basically, I'm fucked. Guess what? What? I don't want to work with you. Hey, don't. Ain't got no choice. Looks like we both the fucked. Terrific. God hates me, that's what it is. Hate him back, it works for me. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, its history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, host of numerous shows here in Los Angeles, and occasionally an actor. And uh, uh, today, you know, a few months ago, mm-hmm. we talked about When Harry Met Sally. Yes. And I said that I thought that was the archetypal romantic comedy of the modern era. Yeah. And today, I think we're doing another archetype. Mm-hmm. Today, we're going to do what I think is the archetypal cop buddy movie. Yeah. And that's Lethal Weapon. Strangely enough, it came out one year before When Harry Met Sally in 1987. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one year before Die Hard, right? Which is right. the archetypal action-adventure film, yeah. right? The solo one guy against the world. And this is such a fantastic buddy cop film. And, and so one of the things, you know, you think about like, oh, people talk about the the early 70s is yeah. this amazing film era. People talk about the late 30s, early 40s is this amazing film era. And you know what? The late 80s for a different set of stuff yeah. is an amazing film era and it really sets the trends for what we see later on. So John, how'd you come to Lethal Weapon? Uh, just like everybody else from my generation, I saw it in a theater. You know, it was something you did with your friends. You went and saw it. It was, I was think I was 16 or 17 when it came out. I remember exactly. We went to uh, Maroomsco Plaza there in Virginia and went to see it and it was like four of us. I, and I was, and we were going with a, a, a friend who was going on a first date who they, he ended up marrying her from high school. And so it, that's why I remember it so distinctly and the film was so so good and something you'd never seen before up to this point as a film both both the um the ferocity of the film the way it dealt with suicide the aggressiveness of mel gibson and then juxtaposed with this idea of like this heroine running for the military vietnam all this stuff and some very hard dialogue and some very strong nudity Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. For me, same thing. Saw it in the theater. Yeah. You know, this was this was in that era. It's you know, I'm just probably a freshman in college, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, this was one of the movies everybody went to see, yeah. and it was a movie that went into that VHS video store rental rotation <laughs> where you just saw it and saw it and saw it and couldn't get enough of it. Absolutely. And, and and had you seen? Were you had you seen like the Mad Max movies before then? And did you know Mel Gibson? Yes, I'd seen Road Warrior. I hadn't seen Mad Max. I'd seen Road Warrior because it was on VHS, and Mad Max had come later. Either I'd come to the consciousness right. of Bad Max later, but Road Warrior I had on VHS. So 
I would watch it over and over and over again. I know that film like the back of my hand. Sure. Um, yeah, that was one we wa- I watched a lot too. Yeah. And yeah. That, I think we're going to hit that at some point. Yeah, I think we should. Yeah, uh, of the two, we should definitely do Road Warrior of Mad Max and Road Warrior. I would do yeah. that. So, so you didn't even mention Thunderdome. No, I, I, <laughs> he's a raggedy man. But no, that this was something that you. I was aware of Mel Gibson, but I wasn't aware of this kind of Mel Gibson because right. when you watch Mad Max, he's not this ferocious in either Mad Max or Road Warrior. He's more like reluctant. Yeah, he's a very this, observational character. Exactly. Yeah. In this, he's more dialed in and everything revolves around him. So, and let's get it. You mentioned Die Hard before. This yeah. is the same producer, Joel Silver. Mm-hmm. Man, this guy's got an amazing list of films. And still going. And still going. Yeah. Yeah, from The Matrix and Die Hard mm-hmm. and uh, all sorts all sorts of great films. Mm-hmm. And uh, he brings in Richard Donner. This is our second Richard Donner film. Oh, yeah. Right. Who, who would have thought? <laughs> I mean, the, the first director we did twice was Frank Capra, because yes. we did Mr. Smith and It's a Wonderful Life. Who would have thought the second director <laughs> that we were going to double hit was Donner? Not No disrespect to Mr. Donner. Donner. No, no. No, we did Superman before, and yeah. now we're on to Lethal Weapon. Um, the script comes from Shane Black, and Shane Black goes on. Not, not only did he write this and write Predator, which mm-hmm. he also acted in, but goes yeah. on to do Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and Nice Guys. And yeah. Really, and he was. this is his first script right out of UCLA. Wow. Yeah, and uh, Joel Silver gets it. He brings it to Donner. Donner was very reluctant to do it because what he had looked at as action films, all the action scripts he got were just terrible, and mm-hmm. he went... Oh, this is something more interesting. Mm-hmm. So he signs on to do it, and then they go off to cast it. And interestingly enough, he did not audition any actors for this at all. Wow. Yeah. He went, his uh, casting director is Marion Doherty, one mm-hmm. of the great casting directors of all time. Yep. And she kind of threw out a few names. He said, no, no, no. And, and then she throws out Mel Gibson. And he says, from the river and Mrs. Sofal, because he hadn't seen oh. Mad Max or Road Warrior. And, and she said yes. And he went, wow. Not knowing about his action jobs, right. but just going, wow, this is a great, powerful actor. Yeah. You know? And then, uh, and I remember, by the way, my first time seeing Mel Gibson was in Gallipoli. Oh, yeah. Gallip- fantastic film. Amazing. And I saw that when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to the Mill Valley Film Festival or the Mill Valley Theater. Yeah. And that movie ended and the whole theater sat in silence. Wow. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's just, a depressing ending. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I first saw Mel Gibson, even before I saw him in Road Warrior. Yeah. And then I remember seeing Road Warrior and then that was mm-hmm. it. Um, and then she they start talking about, well, who are we going to get for the Murtaugh part? And she said, what about Danny Glover? And Donner, Donner said an interesting thing about it, which is that he said he's a, you know, a liberal guy who cares about causes. And yeah. His first reaction was, no, we, we can't cast him because he's black. Oh. Because in the script, the character was white oh, or really? the character was not described. And this is something you have to, that's changed a lot in Hollywood sure. is that it used to be, and maybe still is to some degree, if there was no description, well, that was a white person. Mm-hmm. And, and he suddenly saw his own bias, his own kind of internal racism in that moment and went, what, what am I saying? Right. Danny Glover is a great actor. And I think... There's a movement going on in Hollywood right now that I think this is the same thing, which is to cast ethnic actors, mm-hmm. but have that not be the, any kind of a central part of their character. Absolutely. And it's such an important thing in this film yeah. that Danny Glover, that it's not, this is a black cop. Right. That it's 
this is a cop. So, and, and it's race is just not put front and forward. In fact, they go out of their way to be, this is a suburban family guy dealing with the ordinary stuff. Mm-hmm. And in a weird way, that's kind of radical in 1987. Yeah. And I would venture to say, and a lot of people who are listening to us now, and including you and me, have friends who are, uh, you know, black or Latino or Asian or what have you. Obviously, I'm Latino too. And there's a commonality and experience here in this country that connects them. And they're not like raging this way or raging the other way. They're just living their lives, you know. Murtaugh is black. He has a black wife. He has black kids. He's just a guy. He just happens to be black, just like Mel Gibson happens to be white and Australian because he didn't get rid of the accent. Uh, it's sort in of his, in and out. It's yes, sort of... right, exactly. But they just happen to be what they are, and it's about their energies coming together, not their races. And that's what I enjoy about the film. Well, and the, and and he's just plays a great family man cop character. Yes, you know. Yes. By the way, did you know, which I didn't, yeah. that Mel was actually born in the U.S.? Yes, I did know that. I did not know that. He's yeah. born in New York, lived here until he was 12. Yep, and then moved yeah. to Australia. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay, so let's get into the movie. So okay. first of all, we start off with the suicide of Amanda Hunsaker, and it's a really strange, surreal, drugged out. Mm-hmm. Like, you, I mean, seeing the movie for the first time, you just go, what's happening here? Yeah. And then she, she, you know, she's on drugs, she's half naked, she climbs up on this balcony and it's listening, while well, you're listening to Jingle Bell Rock. Well, you know? yeah, that's what leads us into the film. The opening credits is Jingle Bell Rock and then all of a sudden you, the music cue changes and it's more darker. It's like, mm, yeah. she's going through things and, and then she gets up there. And so I think that opening three minutes or two minutes of the, of the film is letting you know this is what you're in for. You're into feeling comfortable and then all of a sudden right. you fall off the cliff. And this is what happens at the beginning. Right off the bat, Donner is letting you know what you're in for. A suicide right off the bat. And that falls really scary. Yes, it is. And by the way, one thing I found out about how they did it was they took an aerial photograph of the car uh-huh. and then they painted an airbag to look like the top of a car. Wow. So in the very quick shot where you see her impact the car, yeah. she's actually falling into an airbag. That's an airbag. Oh, that's great. Yeah, which is great. Which it, comes in handy later in the film too. Absolutely yeah. does. Well, and the thing too is that, and Donner in his commentary mm-hmm. track, which I hear from a lot of directors is, of course today they would just do CG or some of that crap, but we had to actually <laughs> figure out how to do stuff. And it was just a great, <laughs> like, I hear this all the time, yeah. but it's true, yeah. is that when you can make anything happen, you tend to make anything happen. And right. who aren't as creative as they are. Yeah. And then we get to our introduction of our two characters, and we have Danny Glover getting woke, getting surprised in the bathtub, <laughs> um, which I find it funny that he takes baths. And I also find it funny, <laughs> and I also find it funny that I don't want, if I was taking a bath, I don't want my whole family coming right. in. But, but Od- they do. Odds are you're naked. I would be naked, and you know. <laughs> I don't want my 18-year-old daughter right. coming in while I'm in the bathtub. It's a very close family. Um, yeah. <laughs> and we find out that it's Danny Glover's birthday right. and that he's 50 years old. And by the way, do you know how old he was, actually? No. He's 41. Really? Yeah. So mm. much younger than me now. I was thinking that. They had to age him. Yeah, they aged yeah. him. Um, and and so, so we get his introduction. We see his family life. And mm. then we cut to Mel and yeah. his introduction. Right. Which is also his ass. Mm-hmm. Very prominently displayed. Uh, which apparently there were swoons in the theater. I, I wouldn't to, be surprised. Uh, He's a good, good looking guy. Yeah. But a great juxtaposition too, right, Steve? Cause, and then we get introduced to those that sax music cue and the uh, guitar music cue for Gibson. So already they're laying the groundwork of what we're going to hear every time these characters come. And I forgot how much that sax cue is throughout the whole movie, oh, yeah. man, with Gibson, with uh, with Danny Glover's 
character. That's such an interesting choice because yeah. the composer is uh, Michael Kamen. Okay. Great, fantastic yeah. composer. But they bring in Eric Clapton on guitar oh, from Mel Gibson. Wow. And they bring in David Sanborn, mm. and that's the sax <laughs> for, you know, so, so. So a white dude saxing for the black guy. <laughs> I love that. That's fantastic. Well, again, right. it's a post-racial film. That's so right. Yes, I apologize. Yes, that. you're right. Um, uh, but that's like immediately evocative of these are who these characters yes. are. Yes. And you see the rich family life of Danny Glover and you see the, you know, on the beach in the RV life with the dog. It's a despondent. You immediately know that there that there's something wrong with this guy, that he's yeah. incredibly sad, that he, is, I mean, no one lives out by the beach Unless they have, unless they want to, like, or, or they have no other choice. Do you know what I'm saying? Out on a trailer, these kinds of things. You get the vibe, the way he's dressed, the way his place looks. You know, but I love how the there's a Purdue chicken ad playing when he gets right. up, which those used to be so prevalent in the '80s. But it's that idea that something is wrong with this guy because well, everything is disheveled. And you wake up with beer and cigarettes, yes, and, beer and that cigarettes. this is okay. This is a guy living a very different kind of mm-hmm. life from Danny Glover. Mm-hmm. We also hear with Danny Glover a little bit about this guy, Mike Hunsecker, trying to reach him and some reaction on his face. Right. We don't quite know what that means. Um, and then uh, Danny Glover is off investigating the suicide and finds out that the name of the jumper is Amanda Hunsecker. Right. And he goes, oh, shit. And that's our first moment of a, This is a tight script. Yep. You know? There's not a wasted scene in this film. I, as I rewatched it again for this podcast, not a waste. Everything leads to everything else. There is no wasted tangents. Everything leads to everything well, else. And that's, I, I think I've, more than once in rewatching this movie, mm-hmm. I've had this experience of, is it really going to be as good as I'm remembered? And it is. It is. It is a really tight, well-made film. Mm-hmm. And it's just as much fun for me now as it was the first time I saw it. Absolutely. And it's because of the natural acting between both Gibson and Danny Glover. I mean, they, you just mentioned the Hunsacker scene. That, that when he's just like randomly being told, and the way he remembers it, and then the interactions he has with his wife, and then as he leaves the kitchen, he goes, yeah, Vietnam, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, this whole thing, that you get the natural sense that he's an intelligent guy, but he processes things in, a, in motion. In his way yeah in his way everything in motion Mm -hmm. well and 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 just getting back to the casting i should have said this before uh donner knew that they had it as they had their first reading and he had never he didn't audition them he didn't read them they had never met before (laughs) they sit down to their first reading and it's instant there's just this chemistry between these two guys that's awesome and there's just so much life in the way that they worked and they're very different Mm -hmm. hugely different Mm -hmm. but they really really work to support each other Mm -hmm. um and then we get this great drug deal scene yeah Forget it, you dumb shit. One hundred thousand. One hundred thousand dollars. Did you hear what he said? One hundred thousand? I'm sorry, I can't afford that. Not on my salary. But look, I'll tell you what, I got a better idea. Here. Now, let me say I, uh, I take the whole stash off your hands for free. And you assholes can go to jail. What do you say about that? Now, I can read you guys your rights, but now you guys already know what your rights are, don't you? (laughs) This badge ain't real. You ain't real. Oh, you sure are a crazy son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) You think I'm crazy? Yeah. You calling me crazy? crazy? You think I'm crazy? Yeah, you want to see crazy? I'll show you. (laughs) Now, that's a real badge. I'm a real cop, and this is a real fucking gun. Okay, pal. Hey, nose is in the dirt, asshole. Great casting of those henchmen, too. Fantastic. Such great casting. And, and and what what do you think of Martin Riggs's cop style? It's very it would not work today. You'd be in so much trouble today. It's dangerous, it's crazy, it's unsettling. 
Uh, and it probably violates all kinds of rules. All but then again, he's undercover. So I don't know what the limits or what you're allowed to do undercover. Well, and, and he is... And this is the thing, you know, the title of the movie, The Weapon. <laughs> yeah. And, the, and the, you know, and that obviously refers to Mel Gibson. And you continue to watch going, he is awesome. He's insane. Yeah. Like, and you can't tell. It's very hard to tell. Is him doing all the Three Stooges stuff? Mm-hmm. Is that him literally having a death wish and not caring? Or is that a carefully constructed ploy in order to get what he wants to get? I've always felt that he is a guy who follows his instincts and his guts every single time. So what he's doing in that moment is it's a decision and he does it. I don't think he's thinking it all the way through. I think he just has this kind of feeling that he's he's death proof. He's impervious. And so he's going to do crazy stuff uh, in the moment because that's just he's going to walk that line and and do crazy stuff in the moment thinking he can get away with it to get to where he's going because he doesn't have that extra thought pattern because he's suicidal because he's suicidal at this time there isn't as much care as you would see before in another time well that and and in a weird way that crazy stuff Mm -hmm. that's his weapon yes that's his Mm -hmm. that's his advantage Mm -hmm. is there's a i never got the quote right but there's a a samurai philosophy which is the idea is that before going into the battle the samurai would imagine themselves being killed yeah. and they would go and they would go like okay i'm gonna f- imagine feeling that sword cut into me that spear cut into me and that that's what's gonna i'm sure that's co- what's gonna happen 100 i'm gonna die yeah and so because they're already dead in their mind then they can act freely mm-hmm. because fear is what's going to make you try to protect yourself and that's actually what's going to make you a bad samurai and yeah. so it's the knowledge of your own death that you have that, that you can't hold on to life yeah. that allows you to act fearlessly. And that's Mel in this movie. And that's how I approach every one of my Schmodown matches. I, <laughs> I always think I'm going to get killed by whoever I'm playing. So I'm mentally already prepared to lose before I walk through the door so I can be relaxed and have a good time. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, I think that's a, such a fantastic way to approach things. Well, the best, the best thing advice you can give to anyone walking into a job interview or mm-hmm. an audition or anything is don't care. Yes. If you want this, it's going to be really hard. Yeah. If you don't care. It'll be easy. Yeah. You could be yourself. Exactly. And and the way that Mel moves and the way that he fights, which we see for the first time in this drug thing, mm. is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He's literally a lethal weapon. Like, he he kills immediately, moves quickly. No, he's, he's not caught out. Even when he's caught by the last henchman with an amazing mullet, right. sticking that <laughs> gun into his ch- throat... When Mel starts to scream, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him, I think that's another question you can ask Steve. At that point, is he literally meaning for them to shoot him, or is this another ploy of his to unsettle this guy so that he can flip it around on him? Hey, shoot him. Drop it, prick. Hey, shoot him. What? Shoot him. Shoot him. Shut the fuck up. Somebody shoot this prick. Shoot him. Shoot him. Shoot him. Shoot him. Somebody shoot this prick. Shoot him. Shut up. Shut the fuck up. Put him down. I'm on you. Shoot him. Shoot him. But you see, once again, and he's walking that line, man. I think it, it seems like it's both. Yes, it's, it's both all the time yeah. until the end. It's like, I don't care about dying. Yeah. Just kill him. Yeah. And I'm going to use this. And, and since you bring up mullet, <laughs> let's take a moment to admire Mel's hair. Uh, that mullet would still work today. That was a very influential bunch of hair. I'm sure it was, man. Including we have a good friend who I know got his hair from there. <laughs> uh, a future, hopefully, guest on this podcast. Yeah, I would love to have that. Yeah, the urban barbarian, yes, Dan Panosian. I met him probably in 91 
or 92, and right. he definitely had this hair. Oh. If it we is. ever do Conan, I think he's probably the guy we have to no, bring we, on, yeah, right? we, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm a little scared of it. So there's a little preview of things to come. <laughs> Those comic book fr- fans out there might know uh, Dan Panosian. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get him on to do Conan. Anyway. So, yeah. Um, so we see Mel with this badass uh, takedown of these drug dealers. Yeah. And then we get to uh, the suicide. Yeah. Or the attempted suicide or near suicide. Yeah, yeah. and it's all brought on because of that last moment with that guy. He pulls the gun, like he switches the gun around and he has it at the guy's throat. And you see him, he's going into one of his places, like his places, his suicidal yeah. places. And this is a guy, once again, we have to lay the groundwork to Mel Gibson, which we find out later. This is a special forces guy. This is a guy who was in Vietnam. He was a sniper. He had all these things. You know, guys come back from Vietnam messed up, you know, and then we we don't have, we, we're just getting glimpses of him. And then we get to the suicide moment where he's sitting there with the gun, with the bullet, and with the picture of his wife on his lap. It's his, 11, his wife of 11 years who suddenly died in a car accident, which gets answered in Lethal Weapon too. Right. But like in that, he, in that moment, that's that feeling of desperation. And you understand now why he is in this place that he's in, because he must have absolutely loved her. And to lose her that way must have really devastated him to that point. And Mel's performance in this scene oh God. is, and this is what elevates this movie, mm-hmm. is that his performance is, I'll put it against any Oscar clip you can think of absolutely this is full truthful emotional drama mm-hmm. and, and it's interesting so they have the film they have this sh- uh, scene scheduled mm-hmm. and they have the set set up and bell comes up to donner and says i don't think i can do this today and donner goes okay and they pack it up and they said we're not going to do it and what they did was they kept that set was you know it's only a couple of walls yeah so they had it in a truck and everywhere they shot they just brought that set in the truck. Until he was ready to do Until it. Until he was ready. Wow. And it's three three weeks or four weeks of shooting. Wow. And Mel, they've gone kind of half a day. And Mel goes, you know what? I think I could do it today. And they go, okay. And they set up that shot. Damn. That scene. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. And, and you know, and you see, I mean, the pain and the struggle. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, a, and there's the weird sort of, am I going to have the guts to do this? Yeah. Am I really doing this? And, you know, and then there's the moment after when he decides mm-hmm. not to mm-hmm. and what Donner says about it and I totally get it one of the big decisions you have to make as a director is when to say the words cut mm-hmm. and one of the things I talk to my students about is they all say cut too fast mm. is that they get their lines out you know the actress says the last line or they do the last action and then the director goes cut yeah and what I always say is always take always count to two or three mm-hmm. and then say cut and then I tell to the cinematographer I say okay after the director says cut, you count to two or three, and then you stop rolling the camera. That's great. Because there's always another, there might not be anything, mm-hmm. but frequently there's another moment, there's another little turn or another little yeah. look or a sigh or something where you go, oh, that's the scene. Yeah. The scene's in that last moment. And looking at Mel's performance in this, when do you say cut? I miss you. <laughs> Victoria Lynn. Hey, that's silly, isn't it? I'll see you later. I'll see you much later. Ah. 
I, I got real emotional watching. I mean, people who know, uh, I've talked about this on other podcasts. You know, I've, I have, I struggle with these feelings at times, these suicidal feelings and to see it so, uh, effectively conveyed uh, on film was amazing. And to see how deep he went in, I was in a way that never before, uh, I was so emotionally moved by what he experienced because I understood it for the first time ever. Having watched it as a 17-year-old, 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 40, sure. I didn't get that. You know, you get that. You understand this is phenomenal acting in this pain. But for me, it was visceral this time around because of some of stuff that I've experienced over the last couple of years. And so for me, it was even more powerful. And his acting is even more resonant. And what you said that you put up against any Oscar, absolutely. Because that yeah. is, to get to that place is so difficult and to do it effectively and believably deserves all the praise we can possibly give it, man. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's so and, great. And this is like, yes, we, we could talk about what happens with Mel Gibson. Yes. He's a very controversial figure. And oh, sure, 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 sure. Um, uh, and that's been talked about to death. Absolutely. But I don't think you can deny that this is a brilliant artist. Mm -hmm. I mean, he is, and he brings that same brilliant artistry into Lethal Weapon, this yeah. action movie. Yeah. And that is part of why, and Danny Glover too, by the yes. way. Yes. Like both of them come in with all of their chops and then apply it to this really fun, well mm -hmm. put together script and this really great action story. Yeah. Um, and I agree, and I love the end of that moment because the end of the moment is he does want to live. And it's where we as the audience connect to him. We're like, we get that he's in pain. We've all been in pain for some reason or another. And the fact that he doesn't do it and he says, I miss you, Victoria. I think that button is so effective in that scene because he's just purely vulnerable. And the audience yeah. now will go with him through the whole movie. We're now with him through the whole movie. No matter what crazy shit he pulls, we are with him through the whole movie because we understand his pain. We've got a window into his pain that Danny Glover does not no. until until the suicide. Yeah, until scene, we get a little which later. we're getting to. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now Danny Glover, we have a, <laughs> we meet our psychiatrist. She's one of the weak things in the movie to well, me. She's Donner's wife. Yeah. In oh, real life. Yeah. In real life. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize. Yeah. Yeah. That. She was. She was also the uh, the uh, news desk reporter during Die Hard. Oh, she is. Yes. That's right. Yes. I like her better in that one than this one. <laughs> the reason it's not her performance. It's right. just this is a per purely expositional mm -hmm. role. Mm -hmm. And to me, I bet you you could cut that out because, well, we all know that. Well, we don't know the 11, the 11 years wife died car accident thing. And so that's what she provides us that gives the layer that we need for, for Mel to understand yeah. it. Yeah. It's, it's the one thing where I go... Uh, I, I could have done this with a little more artistry. I understand. I'm sure someone else could have done that line too in passing. Well, it, it, so he, I get we it. find it out. I mean, we know yeah. his wife's dead from this from the scene we just talked about. Right, but we don't know how how long they were married. Like, I think that matters. The 11 years is sure. just a one year. Yeah. Well, so, but this is one of the challenges in screen. The the most difficult challenge in screenwriting yeah. is how do I get my exposition out? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the and the one thing you don't want, and that's what this scene is, is here's an exposition dump. Right. I'm going to tell you some information because I think it's important for the audience to know, particularly because. It's not like that police chief or captain, whoever she's talking to, he knows all that stuff. Right. This is a signpost of bad screenwriting. Mm -hmm. I have one person who knows a whole bunch of stuff telling another person who knows all the same stuff this stuff. You know, That's it's like me point, saying, Steve. hey, John, you remember how we do that podcast, The Cinephiles? <laughs> and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I really enjoy doing the podcast, The Cinephiles. You mean where we where we talk about a movie for an hour? And I say, yeah, the one where we talk about old movies. Well, this is bad exposition. Yeah, I see your point, because yeah. that captain really doesn't come into play uh, at all for the rest of the film. And you get her constantly finger pointing, pointing her finger at him about, you know, listening to him. So I get yeah, it's your like, point. hey, this guy's really crazy. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, I've seen him. Yeah. Because, the, the, you know, the basic rule we talked about before in the show is show, don't tell. Yeah. Well, they just showed 
me this is a guy on Absolutely. the edge. I am 100% clear on his emotional state. Yeah. Her telling it doesn't really add much. Absolutely. And then we also find out that uh, Danny Glover's character is going to break in a new partner. <laughs> and they have a great, you know, how your character is going to meet for the first time is really important. And their meeting is great. <laughs> it's fantastic. He, he sees him coming a mile away. He's being told, once again, he's being told information. This is an interesting way they do this, Steve. He's being told, expo- like you have the guy talking about being an 80s guy and crying in bed, and then, which is so weird. And then you really have, weird. But, it, but, it's, but it's perfect for that time. If you remember the 80s, it's that kind of transition time for men. And so I thought it was a perfect little window into that. And then you have this guy who's also Agent Johnson from Die Hard coming in right. and telling him uh, information about Hunsaker, information about the family, what's happening. And we as an audience are hearing it with one side, but we're following Danny Glover with our other side of our brain as he's surveying Mel Gibson in disheveled clothes with his cap on sitting against a and desk. And to go, who is this guy? Yeah, right. We get that. So we're getting information and we're getting double exposition in that moment. We're getting exposition for what's going on with Hunsaker, but then exposition about Danny Glover's thoughts about this guy, you know, which is who is uh, uh, Riggs. And yeah. then Riggs, for some unknown reason, <laughs> pulls his weapon out and starts playing with it or something. Yes. Danny Glover yells gun, charges him. Yeah. And it's a great reaction shot from Mel Gibson going, where's the guy with the gun? <laughs> yeah, right. Danny Glover goes... And and Mel Gibson does a perfect little hip throw on top of Danny Glover, and we have meet your new partner. That's right. Now, this is why this is the archetype. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like if you watch this today and you've never seen Lethal Weapon yeah. and you've seen all the movies that imitated it, yeah. you would think that Le- meet your new partner is really cheesy. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. But in 1987, it, this was awesome. Yeah. You know, and it's like because all of these elements, the cop who's who's close to retirement on right. his 50th birthday, <laughs> all of these things became cliches so much that they became jokes. Yeah. But this is where they came from. Yeah. And the next scene is the classic buddy cop movie scene that's been imitated everywhere. Hey, look, friend, let's just cut the shit. Now, we both know why I was transferred. Everybody thinks I'm suicidal, in which case I'm fucked and nobody wants to work with me. Or they think I'm faking to draw a psycho pension, in which case I'm fucked and nobody wants to work with me. Basically, I'm fucked. Guess what? What? I don't want to work with you. Ah, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And this has one of my favorite lines in it, which is, which is Danny Glover says, God hates me. That's what it is. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and Mel, Gasson, oh. Mel Gibson says, hate him back. Works for me. Oh, so powerful, that retort. And then the smoke coming out of his nostrils. Just so powerful. He looks demon-esque in that moment when he looks back at Danny and says that. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and because of what we've seen with Mel, we like him, but we're with Danny, too, going like, we don't know what this guy's going to do. You should be afraid with this guy. (laughs) One other interesting thing about this scene is, you know, I made the comparison to When Harry Met Sally, is that I think buddy cop movies and romantic comedies are very similar. In the sense that the way a romantic comedy works is you start with two people that don't like each other. Yeah. And over the course of it, they come together until you find out they're supposed to be a couple. Yeah. And that's the climax of the movie. That's how buddy cop movies work. And so this scene in the car where they're having their first argument, God hates me, hate him backwards right. for me, is when Harry and Sally in the car, you know, <laughs> is that they, they, they have nice. this first argument where you go like, well, these two people can't possibly be together. Right. And of course, it ends up that they're meant to be together as Martin and Riggs are. Yeah. Then we get a little more exposition with Hunsaker. Yeah. Well, Hunsaker, because they have the scene with Hunsaker where he's like begging him to kill 
these yeah, people, the people and he's like, I'm a cop, which ironically does happen at the end of the film. Sure. Danny is against it initially because he's a cop. He's like, no, I have rules. I have codes, what have you. Uh, but Hunsaker is really emotional, doesn't tell him the full truth uh, and tries to call on him because he owes him from some debt in, in, in Vietnam, which we get exp- the exposition in the conversation of the hot dogs getting into the car. And then they get called about going to the suicide. It's just one, one quick yeah. thing, because, you know, Viet- Vietnam is really important in this film. Yes, it is. You know, and this is 87, so mm-hmm. it's 14, 13 years after the yeah. Vietnam War has ended. Mm-hmm. And so it is when all the Vietnam vets are in their 30s, 40s, 50s. Yeah. And um, what's interesting is we have very, very different Vietnam experiences. Because you get the sense, Danny Glover's Vietnam experience is nothing like Mel yeah. Gibson's. Yeah. You know, Mel Gibson's like an assassin. Yeah. You know, and He's Special a Forces is a sniper. Yeah. Whereas Danny Glover probably, we get the sense, was Army, Grunt, yeah. Infantry. He was an infantry guy, yeah. 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 And then we have these Special Forces guys who yeah. are going to end up being our bad guys. Yeah, the mercenaries. Yeah. yeah. And, and and it's just, Vietnam is very important in this film. Through the whole 80s, Vietnam resonates through a number Absolutely. of films all the way through, yeah. Well, it makes sense. I mean... Multiple genres, too. It makes sense that the people that were growing up yeah. in the 60s and 70s who experienced it, when we yeah. get to the 80s and 90s, well, they're the ones in charge. Yeah. You know, yeah. which makes you wonder about, well, what are the films going to be in the next 10 years? And All about Trump. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God help us all. And then we go off to the the guy who wants to jump off the ledge. Yes. And, and Danny, just without thinking, goes like, because uh, Mel Gibson says, oh, I've talked people down from ledges, which he doesn't say officially <laughs> as a cop. He just says he's done it before. And then Danny just absentmindedly goes, you're hired. They just had this whole interaction <laughs> about him like, being nuts. <laughs> we're just clear that this guy might be suicidal, crazy. Yeah, yeah, go talk to the guy on the ledge. This is not a good strategy. Which I love. I mean, I think they show that in that moment when Danny looks, goes in just that moment. He has a moment before Mel Gibson fully goes into the building where he goes, No, don't go. Not out on the ledge. <laughs> like he realizes maybe that wasn't the best decision and it's too late now. Jeez, and then far. you get great performances, great performance oh, yeah. from Mel up there. And the guy. And the guy. Yes. And you get great performances of Danny from yeah. below. So great. And Mel goes out on the ledge with him and yeah. we see a very unusual uh, talking down the suicide guy, which <laughs> at first he's doing great. Yes, he is. At first he's like, yeah. I get it. You know, it's hard, and yeah. I've had these feelings. Right. And- you know, you're you're not the first guy to think of this. You know, uh, a lot of people have got problems, especially during the silly season like now. You know shit. No, you're wrong, pal. You're wrong. You don't know nothing. Don't touch me. Take it easy. Look, I didn't do anything wrong. I know that. It's not like you're murdering anyone or anything. That's right. That's right. And he says, hey, man, let me, just let me impress my boss. He's down there watching me. Just let me. And the guy's like breaking. The guy's like lowering his walls. He's like, okay, all right. And then boom. And even when he, and you know, his choice is, is here's a cigarette and you light the cigarette. Yeah. And then when he goes to light the cigarette, he handcuffs him to himself. Yeah. And even this choice, you go, man, that's a little crazy, but it's also kind of cool. Yeah. Kind of cool. Because he's trying to save him. He actually is trying to save him because he says, if you jump, then you're going to take me with you. So then you'll be a murderer. You'll be a cop killer. You don't want to do that. Come on, let's go. Now, it's an extreme decision to make, and it really is like a guilt move by Gibson. But he's trying to save this guy's life in in his messed up state of mind. Uh, but it ends up... <laughs> it goes a whole other way. It really does. And again, Mel Gibson's performance. I can't tell you how many times I've said, do you really want to jump? <laughs> do, do you, you want to? <laughs> do you really want to jump? Do you want to? Well, then that's fine with me. Come on. Let's do it, asshole. Let's Wait do a it. What? I want to do, do it. Finish? I want to do it. What do you mean? Uh, yeah. When Mel turns it on... Oh. 
that's a lot of intensity to deal with. No, to, in my opinion, in the history of film, there's no more intense or ferocious actor than Mel Gibson. Like when he's he has an wow. ac- he has an access to it that I, I that I would put in the top five of actors ever in terms of being able to access intensity on screen believably, believably. It's no, it's 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 a hundred percent, and uh, and then Mel. Pulls him off the building. Yeah, Mel is the one who jumps. Oh, Mel, Mel jumps. is the one who jumps first. And by the way, one of the great, one of my favorite all-time bloopers or, 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 yeah. or mistakes is the handcuffs break. They're totally not handcuffed. Not yeah, handcuffed. exactly. Because <laughs> I think it was like a little plastic fake yeah. handcuff and it broke when they jumped. Yeah. And then they grab each other's yeah, hands. They do. It's so great. <laughs> and then we get Danny Glover pulls Mel into this <sighs> abandoned closed office or something. Yeah. And that is a great scene. The way he swings that door. The, the framing of that shot, Steve, the way they come into there and the way the cameras, where the camera's placed is so fantastic because you get the size of Danny Glover for the first time. Yeah. Like you really get the size of him in comparison to Mel. The way he swings that door with such ferocity and then they have the back and forth. Hey, oh, okay. No bullshit. You want to kill yourself? Oh, for Christ. Shut up! Yes or no? You want to die? Yes or no? I got the job done. What the hell do you want? You didn't answer the question. Oh, what do you want to hear, man? Do you want to hear that sometimes I think about eating a bullet? Huh? Well, I do. I do. I even got a special one for the occasion with a hollow point. Look, make sure it blows the back of my goddamn head out. Do the job right. Every single day I wake up and I think of a reason not to do it every single day. You know why I don't do it? This is going to make you laugh. You know why I don't do it? The job. Doing the job. Now, that's the reason. It's not close up, but it's just enough that you're far enough away that you feel like you're being talked to by the people in the scene. Well, and Danny Glover is also an emotional guy. Yes, he is. He has to go through stuff. Mm-hmm. And the moment of, you want, to, you want to die, and he pulls out his gun. Yeah. And they're together in this moment. And I think Danny thinks this is some strategy. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. moment between the two, oh, the, again, we get that Bell Gibson intensity. Yeah. We get that power. Take my gun. Don't nibble on the barrel. Pull the trigger. Go ahead, pal. Be my guest. Go ahead if you're serious. You should tempt me, man. Put it in your mouth. Bullet might go through your, your ear and not kill you. Yeah, under the chin. Yeah, 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 under the chin. <laughs> We're, we're about an inch away. Yep. We're a millimeter away. Like, and his finger's on that trigger, and he is, it's like, you know, how many mm-hmm. ounces of pressure does it take to pull that trigger? And I don't know that he doesn't pull it. I, I hear the click. Ow! Well, I, it looks like... Does Danny put his finger Danny in? puts his hand in between the hammer. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe it was him putting his hand between the hammer that yeah. made that click happen. Yeah, I think and so. And maybe it's Mel squeeze the trigger and yeah. he actually stopped the hammer and we don't actually get to know mm-hmm. but the expression on Danny Glover's face at that moment is yeah you're not faking it nope you know? and his his reaction when he goes oh like that in in instinctive uh, yell in that moment because he thinks the bullet's going to go off that he might not stop yeah. it and there you get and that's where he says you're not trying to draw psycho pigeon you really are crazy and that's so great because you Danny is in command of that scene initially and then Mel rises to the challenge or the Martin Riggs character right. rises to the challenge because he's going to show him absolutely and it's interesting too because Riggs feels this connection building already that he is able to show Danny that vulnerability yeah even when they're arg- even at the very beginning mm-hmm. when they don't like each other yeah there's a connection mm-hmm. which is interesting mm-hmm 
Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Okay, we got some we got some clues. We're gonna go off to the pimp's house. Yes. Uh, which is, by the way, Richard Donner's house. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. What a nice house, Richard Donner. <laughs> it's Superman money. That's Superman money. There you there. go. Yeah. I do want to say one thing, Steve, before we go forward. What I love about that uh, scene in the, in the in the drive to the pimp is the breaking down. Like, they're coming back together, and they have this conversation about his... He's like, Mel's like, I didn't know it was your birthday. Like, it's Mel's attempt to try to... Uh, to try to smooth things over because Danny is caught up in this, you know, I'm going to, are you talking to a dead man? You're talking to a dead man, you know, and, and he's still caught up in the scene that just happened and he's trying to process this and Mel understands this and which is, which is one of these scenes that really connects them for me as a, as a absolutely. viewer. Right? I'm so glad you brought that yeah. up. Yeah. Absolutely. And first of all, you get to see Danny, Danny has to process things mm-hmm. at his time mm-hmm. and he has to go through his, that whole dead man. He has to verbally process it. He has to it, verbally yeah. go through this and you know that he does this with his wife yeah. and you know oh, this. Sure. It's just how his brain works. Right. And then Mel starts to make jokes with him. Yeah. And Danny laughs. And this is so important because even when this is just he can't believe he has this guy as a partner. Yeah. They still have a connection. Yeah. Absolutely true. Yeah. So we get to the pimp's house. And strangely enough, the gate is open for them. So they don't need a search warrant. They walk in. And Danny Glover has been talking about don't shoot anyone. Don't kill anybody. (laughs) Okay. Just don't get through the day without killing anybody. Yeah, and they see some women who are loading cocaine who wave because yeah. that's what you do. By the way, one of those women is Joan Severance. Oh, really? Yeah, she's the one in the all black, which oh. you can check. I knew immediately because that's one of my biggest '80s crushes sure. ever. I had such a thing for Joan Severance, and I looked it up on IMDb. She is certainly credited. So they're looking at Joan Severance, and then <laughs> out comes a guy shooting at him. Yeah, and Danny Glover good cop that he is, shoots him in the leg. And he is very proud of himself. Like, this is how you do it. I shot him in the leg. I didn't kill anybody. Boom, still alive. Now we question him. You know why we question him? Because I got him in the leg. I didn't shoot him full of holes to try to jump off a building yeah, with that's him. That's no fair. The building guy lived. No, whatever. The point being, no killing. No killing, right. Yeah, right. Piece of cake. Now I'm happy. Just freedom is right, and I'll stand over here being happy. Mel is dealing with the... <laughs> The, the girls and putting yeah. handcuffs on them. The guy is wounded and crying and saying, oh, you shot me. And then, of course, he pulls out that gun. Yep. And what does Mel have to do? Save his life. Save his life. Shoot Save. him in the chest. Exactly. And then the guy falls. I got to tell you, the death drowning in the plastic in the pool cover really scares the shit out of me. Oh, I'm sure. It's a desperation because you yeah. can't get out of that thing once you get... Like, the same thing happens in, in, in Unbreakable when that almost happens in Unbreakable. Mm. is those, those scenes where there's tarp in a pool are unsettling as hell because they feel like you're trapped and right. you're that close to being saved 
and you're that far away from being saved yeah. in actual reality. You know? It's really scary. Yeah. So he's, yeah, so he dies, so he pulls him, but he pulls him back out, and that's where the relationship changes. Like uh, Riggs talking in the car to him, calming him down, is the beginning of the change of the relationship. Riggs saving Murtaugh is the beginning, is the real and right. change in the relationship. And because Murtaugh realizes. Give uh, Riggs is going through something that has nothing to do with anyone else. It's his own demons, his own journey, and he's going to still be a, co- a good cop, and he's still going to protect his partner. And in that moment, he protects his partner instead of being careless. And I think for Riggs, who's by-the-book guy, which we just saw him try to do when he was shooting the guy in the right. leg, sees that and respects that, not only from a military place, but from a cop place. You know? Yeah. Well, and a personal, you know, yeah, you saved course. my life. Yeah, of course. Um, and it's funny. It just occurred to me as you were talking. Yeah. You know, we've all had friends who are going through their rough time. Sure. And if new people come and meet that person at that moment, mm-hmm. they would go, why are you hanging out with this person? Right. But because you have a history, you like, no, I know the person that's in here. I know I have the love for them that's built over years. Yeah. And so you accept, okay, this is this time they're going to go through and we're going to help them get to the other side. Right. What happens in Lethal Weapon is really interesting because despite the fact that Danny Glover has no history with Riggs, he sees that same thing. Yeah. And it's really from that conversation in the car and mm-hmm. this moment where he goes, no, this is a good person. Yes. You know? Absolutely. This is, I, I, you know, for whatever reason and mm-hmm. whatever way, I have love for this man. Mm-hmm. And despite, I'm gonna, I, you know, he, he becomes family really fast. And what's our yeah, next scene? Come home to the family. Right. You know? Meet the family, have dinner with the family. Yeah. And and there's so many great things about the sequence. First of all, just it seems like a really, really, this is a family. Mm-hmm. Like you get the sense of just kind of naturalism playing out. Yeah. And you get to watch Mel Gibson look at the family. Mm-hmm. And, and you see him enjoy, because he's living in the RV at the beach. Yeah. You know? But I think it's also him seeing what he might have had. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And feeling a connection again to humanity that has probably not been there since the death of his wife. And so he cherishes those moments. And then you have the playful flirtation with his daughter, with Murtaugh's daughter, and then you have the two kids making fun of them, doing the rapping thing. All of that just... It's great downtime, right? In a, right. When you have an action film, you have to have effective downtime to juxtapose the action, right? Because it lets us lets us uh, kind of live with the characters a little bit more, get more connected to the characters so that when the next action scene happens, we're more invested as an audience. Well, this is my, you know, I know I've said this before, but this is my problem with where action films have gone, mm-hmm. is that where action films has gone, it's not that there aren't great action sequences in Lethal Weapon. There sure. are. But... And that's part of why we love the movie. Sure. But it's only part. The other part of why we love the movie is that these are great characters. Yeah. And what happened just, if you if you were to go through and look at how much time is spent on character and dialogue mm-hmm. in movies like Lethal Weapon, and then go to, and do that to, with today's movies, you know, do it with, you know, Batman, Superman or something, yeah. it would be flipped. Is that, you know, maybe it's... 60 or 70% characters and story right. and 30% great action sequences. And today it's 70%, 60 or 70% action sequences and 30% character and story. Yeah. And I wish, and I think Batman vs. Superman is an interesting comparison because it only has three or four action sequences, but 
the rest of the time is supposed to be exposition and connecting. I think you have to write an effective script well, sure. in order for that to, to be, be good. Yeah, it has to be good character <laughs> exactly, story too. Exactly. It's not just the percentage. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and I think and I think with Lethal Weapon you get that. You get the right amount. And Darlene Love, which we haven't mentioned yet, does a fantastic job She's great. as Murtaugh's wife. She's so good. Natural with it. and real. very natural. And you go like, yeah, this is a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even the egg scene near the beginning at the beginning of the movie where she drops the egg on the ground in the kitchen and she's swooping up the egg, she's don't touch the egg. Don't step on the egg. That's just to make you feel like you're watching a domestic, right. lived-in family. You know? By the way, this is very much, I think, um, comes from Steven Spielberg. Is if mm. you look at families, you look at ET, you look yeah. at Close Encounters, you look at Jaws. Is that his way of showing suburban life? Yeah, is is just like natural and yeah. normal. And I think that's very much what Donner's trying to do in this movie. Yeah. Is that this is a family? And this is how they live, and they have food and they have jokes and they have yeah. you know all that stuff right um there's a couple of moments that i want at the end of the scene it's a really mm-hmm. small moment but it's such a to me it just sets up where these characters are going yeah mel is leaving he crushes up his can yeah. he throws it danny glover lifts up the garbage can to do it mm-hmm. now is that a small moment is a very very small moment sure but it says a lot mm-hmm. it says this is there together you know in this way and you know, a lot of people think making a film, I just have to have a couple of good ideas. No, you have to have hundreds and hundreds of little good ideas. Yeah. And this is a great example of just a little thing. Yeah. You didn't have to do that. It's probably not in the script. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And then after that, we get the I do it good, you know, speech. Yeah. From Mel. Yeah. Which is, once again, this moment of vulnerability. He's trusting Riggs more, right? right. He's able to tell him it was the only thing I was ever good at. Like, he's opening himself up to, to Riggs. And I think... I mean, to Murtaugh, rather. And I think Riggs is desperate to find someone to open up to. I think oh, he doesn't yeah. trust anyone else, and especially undercover cops. But there's something about Murtaugh's family life. There's something about Murtaugh's energy. It's very dad-like, of course, obviously, because he is a dad. So there's a, a big brother-type feeling, like vibe to them. And so when he tells him that, and I love the way it's shot. You're not next to Mel Gibson. You're over the car, just like right. where Danny is. And it's a it's a because well, of the vulnerability. Like, mm-hmm. I think, I don't know. I mean, honestly... There are times when I've been really emotional. Yeah. I had I held a pillow in mm. front of myself. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's a protection. Like like and I think Mel being behind that car is sort of the same thing. Absolutely. Um and what he's saying is I'm a bad guy mm-hmm. on a certain level because an assassin is not the same thing. A sniper is not the same as being a soldier. Right. You know, they're different. And I'm not going to make moral judgments of whether mm-hmm. or not snipers are necessary within sure. war or everything, but they are fundamentally different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, speaking about what Mel did in Vietnam, we haven't gotten to our bad guys yet. No. Gary Busey. <laughs> Mr. Joshua. Mr. Joshua is one of my favorite bad guys of all time. Absolutely, man. He's so good. He really is. And now, <laughs> Gary Busey is a very strange man whose life went to a very strange place. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, he is rock solid. Yeah. I mean, it is so good. And our you know, big introduction to him with the lighter, mm-hmm. that is really beautifully acted and genuinely scary bad yeah. guy that we yeah. get introduced to. And I love that the de- the 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 uh, general is the guy that's uh, Greg's dad from Dharma and Greg, that actor. Oh, you're right. <laughs> it's so great. That's hilarious. But he does a great job playing that kind of... Gen- and, and Busey is... Once again, this is Busey coming out of... Buddy Holly's story was only like six or seven years before. Right. So all of a sudden, he's playing this kind of badass character. And he obviously, Point Break, he was in Point right. Break too. So, so you have this development of Gary Busey into this place. And so the whole burning... That's, that, will stay, that always stays with me, man. Oh, it's yeah. such a powerful scene and his performance in that moment is perfectly restrained oh yeah like you see the pain Mm -hmm. and you see him control the pain yes that's 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 what makes it really scary Mm -hmm. and you of course have 
us essentially being represented by this drug dealer yeah. who is freaking out. Yeah, really like, okay, 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 whatever. You know, I'll do whatever you say. Yeah, really scary. Yeah, that actor is great. He showed up, he's been in Dick Tracy. He's been in Six Feet Under. I like him whenever he shows up and stuff. Um, Danny Glover gets a tape yeah. and watches it. And this is, you know, we talk about acting, not being about saying lines mm-hmm. all the time. His performance of just watching, that's dad. Yep. You feel his dadness. And, and the glasses help. I love the glasses. Those dad glasses are perfect. <laughs> My dad had a pair of those in the 80s, yeah. Yeah, he just, you <laughs> see the pain, you see his deep emotional connection between him and his daughter yeah. and Michael Hunsecker and Amanda Hunsecker, right. and you get like, oh, this now has become personal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The shooting range. Yeah. How funny. It's such a good scene. Great setting for the scene. <laughs> the dialogue is hilarious. Yeah. And and this is where like this expositional dialogue really works, where they're coming up with this theory yeah. about Dixie. And I always love, I use this expression all the time. It's thin. Yeah. It's thin. Yeah. It's a great way. I use it to anorexic. talk about screenplays. Anorexic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, then we get introduced to both of their shooting styles. Yes. Uh, we have Danny Glover with his weird head tilt, <laughs> head turn, and then shoot in the center of the head. And then you have... Mel Gibson pushing that target back, back, back. And it's a great use of a single shot, wide angle lens, and time. This is one example where going faster would not make it better. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. it takes the time that thing takes to go all the way to the back and making a little smiley face. That's awesome. And the time it takes for it to come back. All the way to come back. <laughs> that's great. And you know it's going to be good. I know. It's, and that's great because you build that anticipation with the audience. Yeah. You know, because you've earned that moment. Right. You've earned that moment. Yeah. And that, and this is where, you know, Mel, Mel Gibson is right on the edge of superhero level yeah. in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, that's a great establishment yeah. of it. Dixie's house blows up. Yes. Those kids are out there. Those kids are there. Right. I love the conversation, the interrogation of the kids. Yeah. It's really funny. Yep. Don't tell him your name's Albert, Albert. All that stuff is so He's covering his mouth and saying six. Yeah, it's so funny. It's so cute. And for the first time, uh, Riggs feels comfortable questioning Murtaugh. Yeah. He says, well, now we're going to APB for Big Bird. You know, it's his first time feeling like he's equal here in this situation. And I like that moment. Well, and they're feeling like partners. Yes. They're feeling like between... The, the family thing yeah. and the good conversation the night before, the expositional detective mm-hmm. thing in the shooting range, mm-hmm. and now this, they're kind of partners yeah, now, yeah. and good partners. Yes, but that's where we get the hint that this is more than just, you know, they're starting to figure out this is this is mercenary work, this is a bigger thing than they thought initially, and now they're, and I think now they go next to Hunsaker's house, don't they, to question yep. him? Yeah, yeah, at the funeral, yeah, and then funeral. Hunsaker gets shot by Mr. Joshua in the helicopter. Great scene, though, man. Yeah. Great way to die. Yeah. Like just with eggnog spilling out right. because you've been shot. His reaction to the surprise of it and then just down right. is so good. And then you have Danny with this little comment. And that's what Donner does this in all his films. Donner has his characters talk about their judgment of the situations. Right. You know, when he says to him, heroin, well, you got you got off light. You got off easy is what he said yeah. to him, right? Because he thinks a bet, a, he deserves a worse punishment for putting pe- getting people unhooked on heroin that Hunsaker deserves a worse punishment, you know? And Donner has this through all the Lethal Weapon movies. He has his causes right there. Right. Yeah. Including uh, saving the dolphins when yeah. you eat tuna. In, in, in uh, I mean, Lethal Weapon 2, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but he's not beating you over the head no, no, with his politics. They're in there. Yeah. But he's not beating you over the head with them. The buttons is the way they go to go. Yeah. So I remember in the theater yeah. seeing it's a rainy day. Mel is questioning a prostitute. Oh, yeah. And 
car comes up, shoots him in the chest with a shotgun. He goes to the window, and I went, "What's happened?" <laughs> and Mel's waking up because he's got the vest on, yeah, just ready to go. And his performance again in that moment is amazing. Ferocity, man. Yeah. Nothing, like just the way he rises right. up, right? And you know, and Danny has to calm him down, and the la- the laughing, all of it. This is Mel Gibson. Mel, no one does this better than Mel Gibson. The mania of a high. High, highly emotional moment going from the screaming to the laughing to the then composing yourself like all of it it's so believable because you 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 know that this is this is actually mel gibson that we're watching absolutely yeah well and you know shane black writes a great script yes but the stooges the all that stuff's mel yeah mel a lot of the little jokes a lot of little comments all that yeah. the sense of humor that's mel yeah you know that's what he's bringing to it <laughs> and they come up with the idea that mel's dead and that's going to be an advantage but immediately there's the radio call yeah. that there's a dead body right near murtaugh's house and it is the guy that his daughter is dating yeah wow and he, they burst into the house, and then, you know, Darlene Love shows up at the top of the stairs with her kids. And, and the emotion is really yeah, well played. It really is. It's not overt. It's not like, yeah. what's going on? It's not freaking out. It's, this is a cop's wife. She understands, right? 20 years of being with this guy, she must understand. You know? And they don't, in Mel's conversation with Danny, they don't, they don't wimp out. Nope. He says, you know they're going to kill her. And mm-hmm. Danny says, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's... That's heavy. Yeah, because Danny's been in Vietnam. He understands. Right. Like both of them have been, though both of them are survivors of Vietnam. They know they're what they're going cops. up. And they're both cops. They get it. Right. They understand what they're about, what, they're, what they've awoken, you know? And that means you got to kill them. Right. Well, and this is what makes the turn. You know, you talked about at the beginning, like, you know, Hunsaker saying, you got to kill him. You got to kill him. And Danny's right. like, no, I'm a cop. Right. Well, we just sort of left that realm. Yes, we did. Uh, we go out to the dry lake bed, mm-hmm. which is out at Victorville, El Mirage Lake, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and beautifully, beautifully shot. And, and Donna really wanted to do that Lawrence of Arabia coming out of the Mirage. Oh, shot. really? That's why, that's why oh, they went there. that's hilarious. Um, and we get to see Mel as the sniper. Mm-hmm. And it, it almost works. It almost works. Yeah. He's, their advantage of him being dead lasts only so long. Yeah. Uh, and then boom, everything happens and the grenade and everything kind of falls apart and the girl and tries to take off in the limo and it doesn't work because of the helicopter and everything it's a, like that. It's a really strong action sequence. It really is, Steve. Yeah. I, and this always goes to my, this is my question is that action sequences have gotten bigger. Yeah. Uh, and some of them are great. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with big action mm-hmm. sequences. If you made a movie today that had action sequences like this that are really, really well done, mm-hmm. but smaller in scale, would audiences still like them? Absolutely. You think I so? I think so. Oh, absolutely. I think so. Uh, because those action sequences in the film and in, in Lethal Weapon are... Uh, you can relate to them. You can connect to them. They feel real to you. Stuff in superhero movies doesn't necessarily feel real to you. You know, stuff in bigger action like Transporter or Fast and Furious, they don't feel real to you. They're fun. This is real. Like, this is real because the stakes are high, because you respect Gibson's ability as a sniper almost immediately. The, the, the grenade, what does that mean? Like, what's going to happen? You have this young girl in peril. Like, all of... And the, the music underneath everything is so good, you know? And so, to me, I, I think the combination of it is a fantastic action sequence. And the fact that they almost get away with it. They almost, almost get away with it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we've passed that. Like, I don't know if it's this is what Hollywood is doing yeah. or this is what people are expecting. Right. But 
you're so used to having a motorcycle jump off a building, land on yeah. a plane, yeah. you know, ride off the plane into it. You know, like that's what we're used to seeing. Yeah, but in but Shane Black does these. Like in Kiss Kiss Bang True. Bang, he has that's these true. smaller action sequences. Yeah. And in Nice Guys, they have these smaller action right. sequences that still work. It's, I think it depends on the framework of the movie. You know what the difference is? Is yeah. that those movies, and they're good, yeah. are not the number one movie. The right, year. exactly. Is that is that, yeah, people will see them. Yeah. You and I will see them. Sure. But will everyone go to see them? No, maybe not. Not at the same level. Maybe no. not. No. Um, they get captured. We have two parallel torture scenes, and we get the return of my friend, Al Leong, yes. who we saw first in Die Hard. Um, and Al Leong's, you know, the long-haired Asian guy who's yeah. a stuntman and stunt coordinator, did some of the stunt coordinating on this movie. No surprise. Yeah. No surprise. Um, and I just, I just like him. Yeah. They uh, give him a name. The character has a name. Endo. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and Mel is tortured hanging <sighs> in water. With, it's, it's a really chaotic mm-hmm. and disturbing sort of torture scene. All I can tell you is that scene has always resonated with me because that's how I would imagine being tortured. Like the anger, the ferocity of it all. Gibson is just pure, just, just, and the way he's hanging, he's just a piece of ferocious meat yeah. hanging on a hook. And the way he's being electrocuted, it's so believable. But there's a primal anger in that moment that oh, I yeah. understand and know. And so to me, I always can connect to that torture scene so much. It's just just something about it's it. It's visceral. Believable. Yeah, visceral. That's a great uh, word yeah. for it, Steve. Yeah, absolutely visceral. Well, and particularly there's this moment where Gary Busey reaches for the body yeah. and he gets shocked. Yes. And that's part of the chaos mm-hmm. of the scene. It's mm-hmm. not controlled. It's very uncontrolled. Yeah. And that's intercut with... Old school torture yeah. with Danny Glover getting punched in the face and salt in the wound. <laughs> and tell him to go spit. Which go, I love. go spit. He, he doesn't go fuck off or anything. He says, go spit. You know, I love it. I never even heard that expression <laughs> until Lethal I, Weapon. I didn't know that I. that's a thing. It's <laughs> uh, a very dad thing to say, I think, da- isn't yeah, it? Exactly. <laughs> and uh, Mel manages to kill Endo. Yes. Al Leong does not owe farewell in films. He never, well, no, but um, he always gets caught in these moments. <laughs> um, and, and there's this maybe too far moment of the, the daughter has been brought in and, and Danny oh, Glover's yeah. yelling and it's really intense. And then yeah. McAllister says, there aren't any heroes left in the world. The moment before Mel bursts in with a body on his shoulders, is it too much? I like it. I like it because of the, it's an 80s film and I, and I, and I accept it because we accepted it back then. You sure. know what I'm saying? But like, yeah. But it's, it's funny that moment because he's, he's essentially about to rape his daughter right in front of something, him. Something horrible. Yeah. Some, yeah. Something in that, in that realm. Right, right. Really bad. So you, but then just in that moment, he comes through. Yeah. And, yeah. and again, the way Mel moves, the way mm-hmm. he shoots, it's, it's exciting and inventive mm-hmm. and smooth. And uh, it, it leads to them shooting up this club as they go through. Mm-hmm. Where I'm always kind of like, are you sure every one of those guys you shot was a bad guy? Are you sure that wasn't just like a bartender or a security guard? That first, that first guy who's sitting at the bar having a drink. He yeah. just goes, boom. Oh! <laughs> Rush out into the street. It's always funny, by the way, watching movies in Los Angeles yeah. now because I'm like, oh, there's Musso and Franks. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're at the Wiltern. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're at this. Uh, and Mel charges off on foot after Mr. Joshua. Yeah, so great. Yeah. Great, great action sequence. And ev- both how Mr. Joshua does things, yeah. pulling people out of cars. You mind if I test drive your Audi? <laughs> and his just craziness with the big gun. And yeah. Mel's like, Mel getting hit by that car mm-hmm. and getting up. He stopped the car. Get, get back. You know, like his just like ferocity is amazing. <laughs> it's great. And uh, I think it's shot right outside your where you live. It's right near that bridge right, area, yeah, right? Near yeah. that bridge, yeah. <laughs> so that's all this time. I was like, wait a minute. That's where Steve lives. Uh, so, yeah, it, all of that. And, and But it's perfect for, once again, Steve, something you mentioned earlier in this episode where you said 
he's almost superhero like in the movie. Yeah. Once again, he break he kills Elion. He breaks into that. He kills like seven or eight people as he's leading them out, and then he's gonna take off on foot after on foot. a car. Yeah. That's just madness. But Danny after being gets, tortured after and being, right, exactly with that electricity. But Danny tells him how to cut him off and how like he's telling him how to get through L.A. by foot sure. to be able to catch this guy. It's <laughs> one thing I always think is funny is how how far like if you're a world class sprinter yeah you could do maybe you do a 440 you know what i mean right 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 400 meter or whatever and like but that's kind of it yeah nobody sprints it just keeps sprinting, you know, yeah. <laughs> for like a half a mile. Gibson and Tom Cruise are the two action stars that are constantly running in all their movies yeah. all the time. It's like you never, you never <laughs> see them just go, <sighs> yeah, exactly. hold on a sec, hold on. Which we do actually see from Danny Glover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and apparently, so Danny Glover does, you know, he's running and, and then he has to sit down. Yeah. Beautiful acting. And Donner, there's something wrong with the canner, camera. And Donner was like, oh man, he's really tired. Because he had forgotten that Danny Glover's 41. Yeah. Not, and actually in great shape. <laughs> and so he goes up and I'm like, I'm really sorry, Danny. I'm going to have to ask you do this again. Are you gonna, can you get one? Do you have one more in you? And Danny's like, what are you talking about? Picks Donner up on his shoulders <laughs> and runs back with him on his shoulders and puts him down and says, come on. <laughs> and then does another just exhausted That's dying awesome. take. That's awesome. And he makes that change when he, cause he says in that scene, all right, uh, Colonel or general, whatever time to die. You know, General oh, Callister, yeah. time to die. And that's what he, you're like. He's no longer a cop. He's no, no. longer a cop. No. This is personal now. Um, and and we get to see his little neck thing again. Yeah. His one shot take out something. Yeah. Also strange superpower. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and that's the end of McAllister. But Gary Busey, but uh, Mr. Joshua gets away. Yeah. And leads us back to, oh, no, they're going to go back home. Mm-hmm. And I don't under Here's something I don't understand. Mm-hmm. They get to the house before Mr. Joshua. They do. Because they leave a note for him. Yes. But they apparently don't tell the two cops in the cop car waiting right in front who Mr. Joshua just walks up and shoots. Damn, that's a good point. Damn, that's a good point. Okay. And and this is one of... Are they in the house? They're not in the house. No, no. They're outside of the house with the cop car because they send a cop car through the wall, which is an interesting strategy. Right. Like, you... If it was my house, destroy your own house. Yeah, I'd be like, look, I want to get this guy too, but we're out here. We have guns. <laughs> like, do we need to really send a car through my wall? Yeah. So, and you can hear yeah. Briggs is going, yes, yeah, the only way. Trust me, I'm a lethal weapon. It's the only way we can do it. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things like the cops getting killed is uh, what I call it is we tend to watch, we watch movies going forward. Yeah, we don't yeah, watch yeah. movies going backwards. And in that moment, it's great. Yes. And then the rest of the stuff is so exciting that you don't tend to think backwards yeah. and go, wait, does that make sense? That's a good because point. you've been pulled along. Yeah. Uh, it, but so we send a cop car through the, the wall. We bring out Gary Busey. And then because a movie has to give you what you want. Yeah. Uh, Riggs says, you want to try for the title? <laughs> We want a shot at the title. You want a shot at the title. I love it because we want to fight. Yeah. What do you think of this fight scene? I love it. It's it's uh, to me, and I was thinking as I was watching it, it is very much a cousin or maybe even an older brother of the fight scene between Alexander Gudinov and Bruce Willis in Die Hard. Sure. I because this one lasts in terms longer. of brutality. Yeah. Yeah, and this one lasts longer, and the combatants are more equally matched. I think in this, and you really believe. And whereas Bruce Willis looks like the underdog the whole time, right. This is more of an even match, and the swings are great. Well, to be clear, in a one-on-one battle, yeah. In terms of technique, yes. Martin Riggs will kick the shit out of John McClane. 
Well, sure, of course. I mean, in terms of not quitting, not quitting, maybe John McClane is going to keep fighting <laughs> back. That's a good but, point. but in terms of technique, yes. Martin Riggs is way is off the charts better yeah. than John McClane. Well, that's what I mean. That's yeah. he's more equally matched with Joshua than McClane is with Alexander Gudinov's character. I think McClane is not as uh, equipped to handle the fight uh, and looks like an underdog through the whole fight. And whereas this is an evenly more definitely match. even yeah. between highly skilled opponents. Like yes. one of the things when you're thinking about fight choreography is you think about, well, how good are my guys? Yeah. Cause you can have a great fight between people that aren't necessarily great fighters. Right. And in this one, it's like, no, no, these are top trained people. And then you think about what style are they fighting? Yeah. In? And they have multiple styles here. Um, cause they actually had multiple fight choreographers. Mm-hmm. They had a guy who did, uh, there's a martial art called jailhouse rock. And that's what some of the, some, a lot of the elbow strikes and some of the really mm. vicious things is, is a, it's a hodgepodge and very down and dirty kind of style. Yeah. And then they also have, it's not hoist Gracie, but I think it's one of the other Gracies mm-hmm. who Gracie jujitsu. Yeah. That's where it's all the hand to the arm. And I was yeah, like, Wait, all what? the joint locks yeah. and stuff and the pins and the throws. Yeah. That's, that's Gracie jujitsu. And this is five or six years before MMA really starts. Yeah. And, and so no one had seen this stuff and they even have some capoeira moves, which is really unusual. Right. To see, and that's another Brazilian style that's yeah. kind of dance-like, mm-hmm. and and they combine them all together this really unique way. And I think this fight scene—it's a really good fight scene. Yeah, it's really influential. And I actually think this is sort of like one of those—it's really good, and then it got imitated in some ways mm-hmm. that maybe aren't good yeah. because this is the 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 first of what I would call the quick cutting American style fight scenes. Yeah. You know, we talked about in Enter the Dragon that we want the camera back so you can see everything they're doing. Yeah. And this is a beautifully done one of the camera isn't close, it's moving around. And and it really is, I think, I, I don't think there's stuntmen in this at all. Mm-hmm. Maybe there are. But I think it's mostly Mel and Gary who trained for several months to do this. Wow. And, um, and they really are doing great moves. And you can see the great moves, but the camera is moving a lot. Yeah. And cutting a lot. Yeah. Plus, it's shot in the night at night with a helicopter light as the only light source through, uh, the, through the water, right through the through rain the and the water, right the fire. I'm sorry, through the water because of the right the fire or whatever fire hydrant went off. But the, all of it, so, so the degree of difficulty in the fight is is accentuated by all these outside conditions, muddy ground, what have you, you know. It's a it's a great looking fight and it goes back and forth. Yes, it does. And there are many times you're like, oh, Mel's Mel's done. Yeah. Including one where he's down, he's pinned, he's being choked, and Danny Clover is like, let me get to him. And I love Mel's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> back up. <laughs> Just that guttural. I am and you, can you imagine Danny Glover with a bullet wound trying to take on Gary Busey at yeah, this right. moment? That's not gonna happen. <laughs> Mel finishes him and then as he's got him in a in a in a leg lock mm-hmm. and is Danny Glover goes, break his fucking neck. Yeah. And that's the moment that Mel doesn't. Right. And I think that's hugely important in terms of the characters. Absolutely. Riggs, who had been so out of control, so suicidal, so crazy, changes in that moment and realizes it's not, it's not worth it. I can't, I'm not going to be this way anymore. Like, there's something different, you know? And even Danny kind of going that far understands Oh, okay. Get it. I get it. Like he doesn't say, "Why didn't you kill him?" Or "Why didn't you?" You know, he picks him up and takes care of him well, or whatever. And I think it's in particular seeing the family man, mm-hmm. the 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 by the more by the book guy mm-hmm. saying, "Break his neck." Right. Gives him perspective yeah. on who he's become right. and not wanting Danny to be that person yeah. and going, "No." But then of course, <laughs> <laughs> and this is very much like Die Hard. Yes, it is. It's they're both a very similar moment mm-hmm. of even with a sort of step down slow motion. Busey goes for the gun, yeah. and they sh- simultaneously shoot him. Yep. 
it's one of those things that's now a cliche, right? But wasn't in 1987. And, and both those sequences in Die Hard and in Lethal Weapon further the storyline of these two characters of the, of the right. characters involved, right? Because in in here, it's they're coming, they shoot together at the same time because they're partners now. They're fully partners now. And in Die Hard, it's Reznovel Johnson getting past this mental block he'd had about using his weapon to uh, to stop someone from committing a crime exactly or hurting right. somebody. And so this is it's a great sequence that they shoot together and boom and. I think what he does here also, Steve, when he doesn't willingly break uh, Joshua's neck, leads him to have that moment by the graveside with Victoria Lynn right. in the rain with the flowers, putting her to bed, like putting her memory to rest, like saying, you know. Well, because he's now. Because he's, 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 he's come back to normal. Center. Well, and he's found a family. Yes. He was isolated before. Yeah. And now he's got his brother. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And he know, and, and they never say, hey, man, I love you. You're yeah. a great partner. Because they don't have to. Nope. They know. Mm-hmm. And when he gets invited back to Christmas dinner, yeah. they know. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's so great. Yeah. The bullet, and like, which is a great moment. Him, that's very symbolic. Him giving the bullet, him the bullet that he told him he had had a special bullet made right. so that he could die a certain way. He gives it to Danny saying he doesn't need it anymore. Right. You know, and then says, you, you, you think you're going to let me eat this Chris, the worst Christmas, worst turkey ever, you crazy. I feel really bad for her. <laughs> I mean, like, I agree, seriously. I agree. It is a bit, it is a bit I mean, you're much. So but, hor- Look, yeah. the woman is making you dinner. Yeah. So either shut the fuck up and eat it, or you learn to cook. Yeah. You know it's, what I mean? That's a good point. Like, don't just keep bitching about you're it. You're very much a 2000s man. This I is am, a 1980s I also, situation. I also love to cook. So I'm sort of like, go. look, let's, let's solve the problem here with the food. <laughs> like, don't just eat horrible food. That's right, a terrible right. idea. Um, so this yes. movie goes on to many sequels. Yes, it does. I think the second one is great. Three and four, you can toss over the side into the ocean. To me, I, one and two are the best. I think they, it follows the classic pattern. Yeah. Which is one is great. Yep. Two, I've rewatched it. It's good. It's good. It's good. I, I don't like think it. it's great, mm-hmm. but it's good. And three and four are like, oh, here are these characters I really like again. Yeah. Let's watch them do stuff. Yeah. And Renee yeah. Russo is great in three. I love Renee Russo. She's a great addition in Pesci as well in two. But it, the, the one, one is the one, man. Well, and this is the problem of uh, movies versus television or mm-hmm. comic books. Mm-hmm. Isn't in, in television or comic books, you establish a character who's supposed to go on. Yeah. And that, so, so whatever conflicts are with those characters, we're not going to resolve at the yeah. beginning because we need them. You know, so Batman never resolves yeah. his stuff. Yeah. You know, because he's going to go on and on and on. Whereas the essential conflicts within this story are resolved in yeah. the first movie. Yeah. And in the second movie, they try to redo it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And to some success. Yeah, they also, yeah, because they kill off the his love interest yeah. again. Yeah. yeah. But you can't keep going to that same well mm-hmm. because Riggs has come back. He's joined his family. He's got his partner. Right, you know? right. It's hard to keep going. Yeah. And, and there's a TV show. Have you watched the TV show? No, I, I watched the pilot. I, it's okay. okay. I know it's successful and it's doing well and one of our friends is involved in it, but like... For me, it's I just love these guys so much. I don't want to see a remake. Right. To me, Briggs and Martar, Gibson and, and, and Danny Glover. That's yeah. it's just what it is. Okay, final thoughts on Lethal Weapon. Oh, man. If you haven't seen this one in a long time, go and watch it again. It's such a great action film to savor and enjoy all over again. And you'll get something different out of it, which we say multiple times on this show. You can see the great films you can watch over and over again at different stages of your life and get something completely different out of it. For me, the sax cue used to be a funny thing as a younger guy who un- who, who would listen and, and think it was funny that it's connected to an older guy. As an older guy now, the sax cue, I understand the sax <laughs> cue and the physical nature of what that sax cue implies as an older guy now, which 
which I thought was so fun to uh, to discover in the film. So yeah, go watch it again. Enjoy it. See what action sequences are supposed to be. See what what doing great script and enri- and, and have, having rich characters does for an action movie. And watch the pacing. The pacing is so important in this movie. Everything leads to something else that furthers the movie along. And it's such an enjoyable thing. If you're looking to write an action movie, I don't think you can do any better than watching Lethal Weapon and studying it and seeing how it can be done. Absolutely. Yeah, it's for me, I was thinking about it. It's like there's some movies you, you go to see, you watch different movies for different reasons. And some you watch to get that emotional wallop and some you mm-hmm. watch to learn things and some you watch for the beautiful cinematography or whatever. Sure. And there's some movies that are just old friends. Yeah. And I'm sure all of you listening right now, you have your own set of old friends. And it depends on when you grew up and what stage of your life and what came out and what did you see with what people. Lethal Weapon for me is an old friend. Yeah. And, you know, I'll watch it. I'll watch it next year and I'll watch it the year after that and I'll watch it again. And every time I watch it, I have the same experience. I yeah. go back to that place. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's kind of the opposite of what you're saying. You watch it at a new place, you have a new experience, and that's true. Yeah. But part of the fun too is to go back and be who you were yes. when it came out. Yes. And just be like, yes, I remember it. And I hope it'll be interesting. I'm sure I'll show it to my kid someday mm-hmm. when he's ready for it. And he'll probably go, Dad. <laughs> and then I will be pissed at him. <laughs> Uh, As you should be. <laughs> yeah. So that's what we think about Lethal Weapon. We'd love to hear what you think about Lethal Weapon. As always, you can visit our Facebook page. That's The Cinephiles, C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, but Stitcher does not like the dash. So just enter Cine, C-I-N-E, space, files, two words. Please, please, please review us on iTunes. Um, and uh, you can reach me at SR Morris on Twitter. John, where can they reach you? You can always reach me at the Roca says R O C H A. They're on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, see all the shows I'm hosting and co-hosting. And I love to interact with you guys, so please follow me. Uh, and that's it for this week. We will see you next time on the Cinephiles. <laughs> <laughs>